AgriTalk is brought to you by Case IH. Solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH, built by farmers. And by Grounded. Spray smarter and improve herbicide performance with Grounded, a multifunctional adjuvant from Helena. Storms continue to crash into the West Coast, and flooding is taking a toll on farms, ranches, and dairies. Let's take a look at meat demand trends, the continued development of the renewable fuels markets, and preview the 2023 Top Producer Summit. Live from a fully fueled four-barrel show via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Glenn Tonsor from Kansas State University. Then it's Nathan Honstein from the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. And later, top producer, editor, Sarah Schaefer. Right after the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Tip Laurie. All right, Davis, thank you so much. What's and, shaking, homie? Well, I tell you what, it's a beautiful day. We've got the sun shining. It's crisp out there just 22 degrees but a beautiful day up here in northeast iowa so it sounds like it yeah one everything's of those... coming along just fine well good good yeah, S- yeah. sunshine yeah yeah okay. absolutely hey i don't want to run out of time before i mention that i am going hmm. to be at the northeast nebraska farming equipment show tomorrow in norfolk nebraska all right we're gonna, all right we're, we're gonna broadcast the morning show we're gonna broadcast the afternoon show we've got a great list of uh of guests lined up that will be with us right there at at the show chuck pullman center out there at the community college come on out uh it's it's a fun show it's uh uh yeah it's a lot of fun to be there thanks wjag for inviting me out and wjag yeah yep so I'm looking forward to being out there in Norfolk. Um, okay. Uh, you know what? It, it seems like you've got a lot of news. And Lots we got to get to Karen. So let's get to it. Yep. Uh, well, let's start with Ag Secretary uh, Tom Vilsack, who announced several major developments at USDA that will help benefit farmers and ranchers across the nation, he says. Speaking at the American Farm Bureau Federation annual convention in Puerto Rico, Vilsack said the agency wants to provide all farmers with the opportunities they need to continue farming build and maintain their competitive edge, and access more new and better markets. He says USDA is moving forward with the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program and published comments on the importance of increased competition. The agency is also uh, improving risk protection for beginning, veteran, limited resource, and minority producers. Bill Sack was noncommittal on supporting a renewed push in Congress for livestock marketing reforms. Vilsack was careful in recent comments to farm reporters not to overstep the general support he voiced last year for the Grassley-Fisher bill to boost price discovery and beef industry competition. We are uh, generally supportive of greater transparency in the market. And as we work on firming up the Packers and Stockyards Act, we have value transparency. We think there is an opportunity for farmers to be assured that they're getting a fair and decent price with more transparency. And Chip, when pressed on the question of a renewed yeah. push for legislation in the new Congress, Vilsack pushed back and voiced a wait-and-see yeah. stance on uh, on any reintroduced bills. 
Yeah, I think that's going to be the responsibility of uh, Senator Tester out of Montana if that bill is going to uh, get to a floor vote or not. Well, the revised WOTUS rule comes as the Supreme Court will soon release a decision on a lawsuit against a previous version of the rule. AFBF Deputy General Counsel Travis Cushman says the new rule goes beyond the previous rule being challenged at the Supreme Court. Speaking at the AFBF convention, Cushman commented this. So the current case is not on this new rule, so I believe you'd probably need to have a new challenge to that rule. And that's why they should not have put this rule out when they did. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily yeah. quite understand all the kerfuffle, but there sure is a lot of news coming out on, on this issue right here. Well, it's because of the confusion that it creates. Now, yes, there are exemptions in it for agriculture, for farming, for ranching. But it, in rather than relying on the exemptions, the whole industry would rather know, listen, you know, what what part of my farm is exposed to the rules of mm-hmm. the, the new final rule of WOTUS. And and there's there's no clear definition of it right now. Uh, good to know I'm not the only one who's confused. <laughs> South yeah. American crop consultant Dr. Cord- uh, Michael Cordonier cut his Argentine soybean crop Estimate noting continued dryness and the possibility not all intended soybeans will get planted. Cordonier also cut his Argentine corn crop estimate on expected low yields of early planted corn. He maintained a lower bias toward both crops. Yeah, we get the update in the WASDE report on Thursday uh, on South American production. Let's get as close as we can to accurate on some of these crop estimates, USDA, because... (laughs) Because guys are using that information in determining right. what they're going to be planting in 2023 here. Yep. Well, a new House rules package passed on Monday allows lawmakers to defund specific programs and fire federal officials or reduce their pay. It also makes it harder for lawmakers to raise the debt limit and paves the way for the creation of a subcommittee focused on the weaponization of the federal government. And finally, Chip, we've been talking about this. Nearly 200,000 homes and businesses in California remain without power early today as massive storms unleashed torrents of rain across the state, causing power outages, landslides, and floods. The National Weather Service has warned that northern and central California are still in the path of a, quote, relentless parade of cyclones. Chip, relentless parade of cyclones doesn't sound good at all. If you haven't looked at the satellite images uh, coming in from the Pacific Ocean and, and headed to the west coast of the U.S., take a look at it because it's one right after the other. Indeed. And and these are the they're relentless, as as you just said, it it is really something the way that these storms are blowing in. And it's having an impact. All right, let's uh, thank you, Davis. Let's you bring in Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. Good morning, Karen. Hello. Hello. Uh, evidently, we don't have mm. Karen quite yet. Got quiet. Yes, it did. Not exactly <laughs> sure what's going on there, but you know, there's it some is, sort of weird echo. There's something going on. There is something going on. Yeah. Trying to figure it all. Okay, uh, all right. but these well, storms. When you take a look at, have you, let's go back and get your other your last story there. Buddy. Yeah, I've got one more here. A okay. recent survey of registered voters shows significant support for ethanol and the renewable fuel standard, while revealing opposition to the banning of liquid fuels or mandating electric vehicles, according to the Morning Consult survey. 
Almost 55% of the respondents support the renewable fuel standard. Meanwhile, half the respondents said they were not interested in purchasing or leasing an electric vehicle in the next three years. 66% opposed banning the sale of liquid fuel engines and cars. Yeah, okay. We'll talk more about that one in the future. Real quick, Karen Bonert, Farm General Milk, they're dealing with some terrible storms out on the West Coast. How are the dairies dealing with it? Yeah, that that bomb cyclone ship is far from normal. I mean, you think about what you're seeing on the news, and it's not really showcasing rural communities. That high wind, heavy rain, power outages, you wouldn't want to farm in that. I spoke with a dairy dairy producer outside of Sacramento. He received more than 10 inches last week, another three to four inches so far this week. He Chip, he has 500 acres of oats underwater, and it's just, you know, with the winds, it's the feed loss is going to be huge. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we always talk about how resilient dairies can be and and are, but when you're dealing with a situation like they're dealing with right now, you just got to throw prayers out to them and and hope that they can can make their way through it. Karen, thanks. We'll talk more about this later, and you can read all about it at double at www.dairyherd.com. We've got Glenn Tonzer up next. My mom's got a new case ice tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag Agritalk. Lazy coming up to tonight, shining through the trees. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you were with us this morning. Uh, Davis, Michelson, uh, we have been talking for quite some time in mm-hmm. anticipation of mm-hmm. tightening supplies of market-ready animals, both beef and hogs, yep. as we get deeper into 2023. So supply side is one thing when it comes to the market. The demand side is the other side. And, boy, I tell you what, Glenn, excuse me, Glenn Tonzer, professor and extension specialist at Kansas State University, does a great job of tracking meat demand through the Meat Demand Monitor. And he joins us right now to give us the latest update. Glenn, welcome back to AgriTalk. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, and Happy New Year to you, Chip. Thanks for having hey, me on. Hey, thanks. Thanks very much. Okay. So, first things first, let just remind us exactly what the MDM, Meat Demand Monitor, is, what it tracks, and how the data is collected. Yeah, so the MDM is a national survey-based effort. Uh, it's housed here at Kansas State University in the Ag Econ Department. It is funded by the Beef and Pork Checkoff. Yep. Uh, each month, we survey over 2,000 people. 
uh, and it's designed to be representative of the national population. So we have a larger sample of you know, California than Kansas, for example, because that matches our population. Uh, over a thousand folks every month answer questions specific to at home protein consumption, primarily grocery store purchasing of protein for at home through the retail channel. And then the other half of our sample, which is over a thousand every month, is away from home demand. So think food service, you're taking the family out for restaurant demand. Again, this is a meat demand monitor effort. It's multi-species trying to keep a pulse of consumption and demand. And they're not the same thing as you've alluded to in the past here, uh, which I always love to hear as a geeky economist that works on this. <laughs> um, but all the information for the NDM project is on our agmanager.info website. We're going to summarize kind of the state of the union going into 2023. But I encourage yeah. your listeners that you know value this information to go to our ag manager website, download it. Everything from that project's available. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot to take in on that website, Glenn. You do a great job there, and and it's it's important information. Um, so, how's the protein industry doing? How many consumers are eating meat at home or at the restaurant? So, uh, overall, certainly consumption rates are up. In some historical context. Uh, and I don't want to confuse folks, Chip, but this is actually outside of the MDM. So just using some USDA uh, per capita consumption, okay. you know, domestic info, is in 2022, over 226 pounds of beef, pork, and chicken consumed per person. Uh, that's historically quite high. So for context, it was 221 back in 2005. It was below 225 for every year in between. Going into 2023, we're looking at about 223 pounds. So across all proteins, and I'm purposely starting broad for your listeners here, Chip, yeah. is we're looking at about three pounds less, but that's from a large base. And that's primarily because supply is shrinking some. That's, that yep. itself isn't a demand problem. That's we're producing less, particularly beef. So about 3% less beef, about 1% less each on pork and chicken is the domestic consumption we're expecting here in 2023. Importantly, those are just poundage. So it's nothing about the price paid or demand itself. Um, but I want to start the discussion by highlighting we are starting from a pretty high historical yeah. consumption base. Yeah, and and a vast majority of Americans are still consuming meat on a regular basis, right? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things we measure in the MDM is basically how do you describe your diet? So regularly consuming products from animals is 65 to 73% depending on the month. Uh, it usually comes right around about 70% of the public you know, self-declares as regularly consuming meat products. That, the balance of that is flexitarians. So they still consume animal products, but maybe intentionally don't do so every meal. And then vegan, vegetarians, and then those that choose not to disclose. But uh, there is no major trend up or down nationally okay. in that since we launched, launched this project in February of 20. Uh, it's still regular. Over two-thirds of the public says they regularly consume meat products. Okay. All right. So what drives a consumer's purchasing decision when it comes to meat? So increasingly, you know, you and I are talking here early in 2023, price is more important today than it has been for some time. Yeah. So one of the things we measure in the MDM is what I call protein values. And I ask folks from a list of 12 items, what are the four most important in your protein purchasing assessment? And then what are the four least? And if you tell me those two buckets, I know the four that are kind of intermediate and price, safety, taste, and freshness are four that are regularly at the top of the list. A uh, whole bunch of other things, including hormone use, origin traceability, environmental impact, convenience. You know, it's a lengthy list or round out that assessment. Again, go to Ag Manager for it all. But the relative importance of price has been growing for the last seven or eight months. Uh, in my opinion, this is just a tons of opinion looking at the data, is that reflects buying power eroding. 
So as inflation elevated throughout a good chunk of 2022, the typical resident in the U.S. had less buying power. And I think that made price of meat proteins more important yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the some of the issues that we hear a lot about, OK, yeah, uh, things like, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions, antibiotics, uh, the the, you know, bird or cage free eggs, stuff like that. Where does how does that resonate with consumers when they're making their decisions? Yeah. So so for the average or typical U.S. Yeah. resident, yeah. those are not primary determinants. And that's what you'll find in kind of the summaries every month of our four page MDM reports we post. Yeah. Uh, but I want to remind folks, we are a very large and diverse country in every measure of the word diverse. Uh, any metric you can think about here, uh, you know, have over 300 million people. And, you know, let's just keep the math simple here, Chip, is 10% of 300 million still 30 million? Uh, yeah. There is a subset of our public that places a head value and concern on some of the issues you talked about. So yeah. both can be true. And I don't want to sound like a fast talking lawyer and confuse folks, but the average person does not consider those key determinants. Price, safety, taste, and freshness are the most common for the typical meat buyer. But there are what I would call niche markets, and sometimes it's 2% of the population, and sometimes it's up to like 20, where things like animal welfare and environmental impact and the like rise in importance. Right. Uh, the good news for that, for the meat and livestock industry, is those are market opportunities for yes. those that want to pursue them. But, yep. but that should not be confused with that being the primary determinant for all beef, pork, and chicken consumers is why I'm trying to get anything. Yep, yep. I, I get it 100%. And your point of – those those marketing those those uh, preferences should not be ignored because they are market opportunities for the industry. So really important. You know, we the whole industry has talked about how the COVID shutdown in the U.S. taught people how to cook and prepare meals at homes, uh, and the the assumption is that it increased their meat IQ that they look to buy higher quality meats for at home consumption. Does the data in the, in the survey back that up? Uh Yes and no. I mean, I, I, that gets kind of geeky real quick in my wheelhouse. So uh, maybe I'll give you a success story, for example. Okay. Yeah, please. In the, in the pork space for at least the last two years, uh, the National Pork Board and a lot of their you know partners throughout the broader hog and pork industry have focused on increasing awareness and education on ground pork, uh, how to use it, you know, how it can be an ingredient or a main staple and so forth. And we are assessing that and that appears to be a success. Uh, the reason I'm pausing the way I answer your question here, Chip, is I don't know how much of that is a increased IQ in the household versus successful marketing and promotion yeah. okay. from the industry. But but regardless, I mean, regardless who we want to give the win to in that statement, um, if ground pork demand is higher than it was two years ago, that's good for people that raise hogs and sell pork. So you know, I think it's a success story. I just don't know if I can you know cleanly tell you we've raised the IQ of ground pork consumers. I think we've gotcha. increased awareness for sure. Um, I don't have a good feel for quote unquote, how ignorant we were five and 10 years yeah. ago on that. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So talk to me about the forward looking data in the MDM. What did the December survey tell you about consumption trends that we might see in 2023? Yeah. So first, just to round out the 22, kind of how we ended the year, yeah, okay. de December demand, both for at home and away from home was lower than it was December of 21. 
So regardless of the protein category, it doesn't matter if I'm talking beef, pork, chicken, even seafood, that was, we track here a little bit. Uh, we ended the year on a weaker demand front than we started the year is the punchline. Importantly, Chip, that's not because we have signals of product quality concerns. It's not like folks are walking away from the product because they have concerns. It's the opposite is their you know, buying power, I think, is what's at play here. Uh, going forward, something we looked at in the December assessment, and it's the end of our December report, I encourage folks to go read all the numbers, is we directly asked about financial sentiment. So how concerned are you about your household finances, both today compared to a year ago and today compared to what you think a year from now? So the latter is forward-looking to the core of your question. And folks entered the year more pessimistic on their household finances. Then we started both 22 and 2021. Um, that's pretty stark to me. So folks, I mean, put on our hat for a moment here, Chip. We were in the middle of COVID. Most didn't even have vaccines as we ended 2020. Uh, people are more pessimistic about their finances now than they were then. So that is not a good setting for meat demand as we start the year. Yeah, that is definitely a wrinkle that we're going to have to watch for. No question about it. Glenn, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. We appreciate you and the MDM. Thanks for having me on, Chip. You bet. Glenn Tonzer, Professor and Extension Specialist at Kansas State University. We've got Iowa Fuels up next. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. You, you know, Beach, the grain markets didn't put on a spectacular close yesterday. Things kind of softened up. How are we doing here today? Looks like plenty of pressure on the wheat market. Yeah, uh, so disappointing finishes yesterday, like you mentioned, and, and uh, um, we've seen a, a turnaround in the corn and soybean markets, but definitely not the case in, in wheat. Now, yeah. we're trading well off our session lows, uh, but still solidly lower with uh, losses around a dime in the winter wheat contracts and, and three to four cents or so in spring wheat. Yeah, and tell me about this turnaround that we is happening as we speak, really, in corn. Yeah, uh, corn and, and soybeans and, and yep. the meal market as well. So I, I think that that's, those three markets are kind of all trading together here. Uh, keep in mind, we have just a lot of report data from USDA coming up on Thursday. And, and yep. so uh, while we had a, a washout from a kind of a technical perspective earlier, uh, we bounced back and, and traders kind of showing that they don't want to add uh, or aggressively add positions in either side of the market at this point. In time. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Take us over to livestock trade. Man, one day up in hogs is all we could get. 
Yeah, uh, for the moment anyway, and the cash index just continues to fall. And, and until that uh, pulse of seasonal low, I, I think it's going to be a kind of a difficult situation to find uh, active buyers in the in the hog market, probably in, in justifiably so, to be honest with you. Uh, now on the cattle market, uh, good solid performance yesterday and, and followed through strength this morning. Uh, so the anticipation there is that we'll see the cash market after several weeks of, of just kind of uh, performance yeah. through the holiday season. We'll see it strengthen up this week, and I, I think that'll happen, just not until later in the week. All right, gotcha. Thank you, Brian. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us this morning. Davis Michelson is here as well. Standing by. Interesting conversation with Glenn, because when we talk about the supply side of the markets, Mm -hmm. uh, and and now I'm not including poultry in that, uh, but the hog side, by the time we get to the middle part of the year, the 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 supply of market hogs compared to a year ago is going to be tight. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, the cattle side is going to start to tighten up by the end of the first quarter here. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes how well can the economy handle uh, the the meat supply and not what is expected to be some higher prices and how well does consumption and demand hold up. So, uh, we got to watch it very, very closely. Okay, talking about consumption, uh, there's really some some good news on on renewable fuel consumption coming to the marketplace, and uh, let's talk about some of that with Nathan Honstein. He is the policy director at the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Nathan, welcome to AgriTalk. Hey, morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad you're here. Glad you're here, man. Um, so. Let's do a little bit of looking back. 2022, ethanol production in the state of Iowa. It it wasn't a blowout to the upside, but we continued to inch up on the production. How did that happen? I, th- I think the the main thing is with uh, obviously this summer we saw a a gas price spike uh, with uh, the what's happening over in uh, Eastern Europe and Ukraine uh, and with Russia. Um, and when consumers went to the pump. They saw E15, EA5 prices that were uh, very attractive. Um, on average, E15 is about 15 cents cheaper than uh, E10. There's there's places when I was traveling across uh, Iowa uh, this summer where I was able to get E15 for about 45 cents cheaper yeah. than E10. And so when you when the consumer sees that uh, and they know that they are getting a homegrown fuel that's made right here in Iowa, I think that's what really attracts them uh, to to that um, that product. Um, you add in that uh, what the, obviously the, what the governors are in the Midwest are trying to do for year-round E15, but also what Governor Reynolds did uh, with the, the E15 access bill that we passed last year. I think uh, it's a pretty bright future uh, for the ethanol industry um, as we try to continue to grow that demand. Okay. Um, what are the odds of year-round availability of E15? It, is it something that the state of Iowa can decide on their own, or does EPA have to sign off on this? Well, th- there is a there, there is act uh, uh, provision in within the uh, Clean Air Act that gives the a governor 
uh, the authority to decide if they want to lower the, the volatility of their, their gasoline. Um, and so right now that is uh, with EPA and uh, OMB uh, getting reviewed, but you have the um, seven states and then recently um, Missouri actually uh, joined. And so um, all things considered, I, th I think we're, we're heading towards that process at least at a, a regional level. Um, yeah. There's still plenty of work that we can do at the, at the national level. Um, API, uh, I know, uh, recently got on board with the a national solution. And there's still discussions that have to be made. Um, and I hope we're just hopeful that at least a national solution can happen. Because going back to, like I said, uh, when, when a consumer has that option, when they see the, uh, the E10 to E15, they see that they get a higher octane with a, the 88 and they get a cheaper fuel and it's homegrown. And so it really makes sense for uh, people here in the Midwest, but people nationally when we're, we're dealing with these uh, uh, rising gas prices. Yeah. You know, Nathan, the, the, the whole year round availability of E15 on a national level and even on a regional basis, it, it, the, the confusion out there that is still being created by the refiners just blows me away because yesterday, just yesterday, Bloomberg News ran an item, and it talked about how year-round availability of E15 would raise gas prices for some consumers. I was thinking outside of the eight-state region, okay, is where they were going to see the higher prices. But they said that it's for those that would begin to offer E15 year-round. Now, that triggered a bunch of response from industry people out there that ran all, you know, they ran charts that showed how uh, ethanol is cheaper than gas, how E15, as you just very well explained, is cheaper at the mm -hmm. pump. And mm -hmm. you also just mentioned that the American Petroleum Institute, API, is on board and supposedly mm -hmm. supportive of year-round availability of E15. Yet this misinformation just continues to flow from refiners. I just don't. Mm -hmm. How do how do we? We've been combating it for a long time, but mm -hmm. I, I just don't know how they get away with telling lies. Well, there, there's there's obviously a lot of misinformation out there, but they're protecting their interests. Yet you have to respect them for that. But at the same time, I think as you point out, that that report only takes in uh, ignores over half the, the equation that. Yeah, there might be a two cents at the refinery gate, but that doesn't take into consideration that blending ethanol is a cheaper, better source of octane for the fuel. And then you add in the RIN value. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, when it gets down to the consumer, the consumer at, on average is at least getting about 15 cents uh, um, uh, tax or gas price uh, or cheaper gas price versus E10. And at, at, in some cases, that's up to 40, 45 cents. And so. Yeah. It really doesn't take that in account, and it's, it's unfortunate, but we, we'll, we'll continue to try to get that message out there and uh, work with uh, our partners here in the Midwest and, and at the federal level. Yeah, you know, some of the evidence, I think, of the support for E15 is starting to build, especially in the state of Iowa, because the retailers are are really beginning to ramp up to, to carry E15 mm -hmm. as, their, as their base fuel, mm -hmm. aren't they? Oh, yeah. It, the, We've had uh, some uh, smaller uh, retail locations that are associate members of ours that they've seen E15 sales reach, you're talking about three-fourths up, yeah. up to over 8% of the fuel they sell uh, now at their, their small uh, uh, stations across rural Iowa. 
Um, there's some major retailers that are seeing now E15 being over 50% of the fuel they're yeah. selling in the state of Iowa. And so I think as the consumers become more aware of what, what uh, Unlight 88 E15 is, um, I think they're, they're learning and understanding that there's a lot of misnomers out there and that this fuel works. It provides you with a, a better quality fuel, a homegrown fuel that is cheaper. And when families are trying to make decisions uh, with the rising gas prices and other uh, rising prices of other uh, commodities and ish, uh, products out there, um, this is something that kind of provides them some relief uh, that uh, I think they're grateful for. Yeah. You know, it. I don't know if it bothers me or not that I see some E15 offered, and, and I'm thinking about one particular station in, in West Des Moines that is selling E15 as an 87 octane. Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't know if that bothers me or not. Should it matter? Um, I, no, I think we're, we're at the end of the day, I think we're happy, uh, as long as they're trying to sell those, the, the bigger blends, they're trying to move from E10, E15. I, I think, uh, at, uh, we have to be, uh, concerned that they're at least offering it out there. Yep. Um, and I think there's still stuff that we are doing. Um, here we have, we have a coworker that, uh, we, we try to get out there and we educate the, the retailers, uh, one at what, how to sell the product, uh, how to label market it and what it means for the store and what, what, uh, benefits they that is for the business owner, um, but what is uh, the benefits for their, their consumers and their customers? So um, I think that's just something that we need to continue working on is make sure that we educate the retailers because it's still it's a, a fairly it's been out there for a while, but for a lot of yeah. retailers it's a newer product that they've never offered. Uh, right. Are they if they're, especially if they're a branded store they've never been able to offer until right. recently, and so right. that's what uh, we need to try to do. Uh, our job is to make sure we can educate those. Uh, retailers, those small business owners, on what this product means for them and, and, and their their customers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you went to the octane side of things because the E15 availability year round, and and I think the reason that API is on board with it is because they will begin to produce a lower quality blend stock that they can produce much more cheaply than they could to blend with E10 or 10% ethanol to get to that base of 87 octane if they reduce that fuel standard or that that blend stock quality even further to spike it with the e15 or ethanol up to 15 percent the the i i i'm fearing that we're losing some of the environmental benefits the reduction in the greenhouse gas because of that lower quality blend stock that's that's being used but that, I think, is a question that we could try to answer later. Hey, real quick mm-hmm. here, Nathan, I believe the mm-hmm. Iowa Renewable Fuel Summit is coming right up here the about a month from now, right? Correct. It would be uh, February 7th, uh, downtown at the Community Choice uh, Convention Center, uh, right there by the Wells Far- Fargo Arena. Um, we'll have a, a pretty good slate of uh, speakers. I know we just announced um, uh, that we'll have um, – some of the uh, policy panel, uh, some of the discussions on the biodiesel side of the uh, uh, yeah. world. And then uh, one of the keynote speakers that uh, we'll have is uh, a gentleman uh, called Daniel uh, Yuval uh, Weber, who is actually a leading Russian expert. He uh, teaches uh, at uh, the Marine Corps uh, University in Guanaco and uh, will kind of provide a perspective what um, the, the conflict in Ukraine and uh, with Russia 
what that means on grain prices and what that means, uh, I think, on uh, something you see with the, the veggie oil market. And so wow. um, that's something I think it would be uh, provide a, a perspective that a lot of people probably have not heard or seen yet. Yeah, that's right. It's very good. So it's the 2023 Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit Community Choice Convention Center, February 7th. It's free. All right, but you still have to register. So go to Iowa Renewal, excuse me, Iowa Renewable Fuels Summit dot org to get registered. Nathan, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Nathan Honstein, policy director there at the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Sarah Schaefer, next. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineRepeat.com. Davis Michelson, Jim I don't Corey. know if you know this or not. I know lots of stuff. I know you do. I know uh, you do. But I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, yeah. Big Apple Joe Stackler and I are going to be making our way down to Nashville, Tennessee, January 23rd through the 25th for the Top Producers Summit. Here's a Did shot you know of knowledge that? for you. Uh, Big Apple Joe originally received his moniker as the Big Apple at Top, Top Producer, Producer Summit. Summit. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Mm-hmm. That is correct. New York. Somewhat of a homecoming. Played mm-hmm. in Chicago. That kind of got it for him, didn't it? <laughs> My kind of town. That's right. <laughs> All right. We'll have to get him a new theme song for Nashville. I mean, there's 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 got to be one or two that we can pick from be there. Something. There must something. be something. Something. Sarah Schaefer, top producer editor, is in charge of the Top Producer Summit. She joins us right now. Sarah, welcome. Thank you, Chip. Always a pleasure to be here with you and excited to see you in Nashville in, I think, about 12 days. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We've got, uh, you know, just to talk a little bit about what I'm going to be talking about in the final panel discussion of the event we're going to be talking about how the global grain flows may be influenced by all of the geopolitical and and supply side issues that are out there that that the grain trade is going to have to be dealing with we've got former ambassador kept tom on we talked with him earlier about uh, what uh, we will be talking about in the in the panel discussion steve freed from um, uh, ADM Investor Services, a longtime tracker of grain trade, is going to be on the panel. And Matt Roberts from Terrain is going to be 
on that as well. And I, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for you know kind of holding that spot for me right there at the end of the at the end of the event. I really appreciate that. Well, it's a pretty all-star lineup, and you are a really great closer, Chip. So you right. know you always give us something to think about on the way out. Well, yep. on the way to the party that night, technically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which is this year at, <laughs> at the Johnny Cash Bar. That ought to be a lot of fun. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about are the different tracks, the, the structure of the yep. event. There are different tracks for attendees to follow so that they can basically customize the experience. Tell us about that. Exactly. So we really try to make this event a fit for your whole team because – in all my years of doing this and talking to farmers, they say, you know, when I brought my son with me or my sister or my employee, we learned the most because we were able to kind of divide and conquer the big agenda that I put together. And so uh, we really tried to zone in on different specialties. And so we have a track specific for young farmers. So those early career farmers where they can meet others like themselves and we have content specific to them. We also have a track for female farmers. And so that one's a really great one um, just because you don't tend to meet a lot of other female farming peers when you're out and about. So that's always a great one for networking and just a lot of fun. And then also new this year, we are offering a succession planning pre-conference session with Rena Striegel from Transition Point Business Advisors. So that will be uh, just you know a great time to put succession planning front and center on your agenda. Um, and then also new this year, we're doing an idea exchange. And so yep. Mark Faust, who you had on last week, will lead some kind of table topic networking where we talk about things like landlord relations or leadership development with your employees. You know, those topics that everyone brings up as pain points, we're going to just sit around and trade ideas. So won't that be fun? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, taking absolutely nothing away from the speakers when I say this. The networking that happens you at TPS <laughs> is fantastic. It's, I mean, everyone you talk to is interesting, and it's just so great to take that time away from the farm and really just yeah. focus on making some new friends and seeing a lot of old friends, too. Right, right. And, of course, uh, we've got awards night, Top Producer of the Year, the Horizon Award, and the Trailblazer Award. Looking forward to seeing those as as well. And, and again, it's another great opportunity for networking and talking about what those award winners are doing to be successful. Yeah, they are all so inspiring. So we've got our three top producers of the year finalists. We'll crown a winner while we're in Nashville. And then those two other awards that you mentioned. And so really all of them are just inspiring. And I guarantee you'll leave that awards banquet thinking, I should try that on my farm. Yep. That's a really good idea. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's the, it, it's, you know, to use an old phrase, it's the out of the box ideas that, that come up at, at TPS that I think really has a big impact on a lot of, a lot of people. You know, I probably shouldn't ask you this question, but I'm going to, what are you looking forward to the most? Oh, I think it is just seeing um, seeing some of those old friends, and I come away every year from meeting new friends, and so that that networking is great. And I am I am excited about some of the speakers. We've got some of those you know all time favorites, the Jim Weissmeyers, the Chip Flores, um, the Sarah Beth Aubreys, but then we've got some new ones who've never been at our event before. So I am really excited. I talked to our keynote speaker yesterday, who happens to be Jason Aldrin's drummer, O Chip. 
this is going to be fun. <laughs> he has <laughs> a great cool. message and a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, <laughs> when I first saw that it's Jason Eldeen's drummer, I'm like, what? But the more <laughs> I looked into it, the more I looked into it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It, it should be very interesting. You as, know? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the music industry is pretty volatile, kind of like farming, pretty competitive. So I think he's going to have a lot of great lessons to share. Yeah. Yep. No doubt. Uh, Another one, a a fan favorite at at TPS is a newly retired one. Mr. Paul Neifer will be there, of course. Yes. You know, he is retired now. You know, he was in Hawaii last year or last week when I talked to him. So we are, you know, really making it hard for him to come to Nashville. But oh, he's got great ideas. We're also going to do um, a quick hit, like a couple of five big ideas that yep. top producers can apply to their farm featuring Paul featuring Sarah Beth Aubrey, um, featuring a handful of other folks. And so I think that'll be really fun, too. Um, Excellent. Just a little bit different way of presenting good information. Real quick, where do we go for more information? TPSummit.com. Sign up quick. You know, we're 12 days away. Yep, very good. Looking forward to seeing you down there, Sarah. Thank you. You too, Chip. Thank you. Okay, again, Top Producer Summit, January 23rd through the 25th. There in Nashville, Tennessee, the whole thing caps off with a trip to Johnny Cash's bar. Come back this afternoon for Brian Grady.